Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. I'm back with another true crime story to lull you to sleep or perhaps to give you nightmares. When I was maybe 11 or 12 years old, I went to the bookstore with my dad and he told me that I could pick out any book that I wanted. I chose In the Name of Satan, a true story of human sacrifice, devil worship, and murder by Wensley Clarkson, and my father was mortified. At first, he told me, absolutely not. But after a little convincing, he handed me the cash, and he walked out of the store, too embarrassed to go up to the cash registry with me. I've been intrigued by true crime ever since I can remember. But that book was the first story that I really dove into all the nitty-gritty details, and it's stayed with me forever. I highly recommend you check out the book for the full story. It's a really great read, but sometimes it's a little hard to stomach. With that said, we're going to dive into the grisly murder of 15-year-old Elise Paler, who was killed as part of a satanic ritual, according to the three young men who took her life. Elise was killed back in 1995, but there are some new updates in her case from June of 2022, so we'll talk about those as well. Alright, let's jump in. And as always, we'll start with Elise herself, because she was so much more than what would happen to her. Elise was born on April 24, 1980, in Arroyo Grande, California, which is where she would spend her entire life. Arroyo Grande is a small town with a population of under 20,000 people. 
There are beautiful parks, sports centers, and hiking trails. It's very quiet and peaceful, and it's full of families and retirees. It would have been considered a fantastic place to raise a family before all of this happened, of course, because what happened to Elise would shake this community to its very core. Growing up, Elise had a very normal childhood, living with her parents and her two younger siblings. They were a middle-class family who lived in a beautiful home on the edge of the town. Elise's father worked long hours as a construction worker, while her mother was a stay-at-home mom who cared for their house and the children. They were a very close-knit family. This blonde hair, blue-eyed beauty dreamed of one day becoming an actress or maybe a beauty pageant winner. She loved acting and singing and wanted to do something that would put her center stage. She wanted to be famous, and I guess that's kind of the sad, ironic fact in this story. Because the story of what would happen to Elise would become infamous. One thing for sure is that she had a ton of confidence, character, and ambition. She would quite literally strike up a conversation with just about anyone that she met and make friends wherever she went. She made great grades in school, and she played on a few different sports teams, including tennis and soccer. She was a really great kid. Unfortunately, when she entered her early teen years, she hit a bit of a rough patch. The girl who used to spend the majority of her time with her family, her friends, and attending Bible study, well, she got caught up with the wrong crowd where she would be introduced to drugs and alcohol. And that's not a slight against her by any means. A lot of us have been there. Elisa's parents really tried to set her on the right path, but they struggled. At 14 years old, Elise was taken to a drug rehabilitation center for using marijuana at school. Even though her parents gave her rules to follow as well as a curfew, Elise would frequently just sneak out of the house to go hang out with her friends and do whatever she wanted to do. Many of us have been there, like I said. It's no judgment against her. Teen years are difficult because we think that we know everything and we think that we're invincible. We're old enough to sneak around and get away with a lot, but not old enough to really understand the consequences that might come from our actions. Now it was summer break, school was out, and Elise was spending even more time with those unsavory friends. On the evening of July 22nd, 1995, Elise's father, David, walked into her bedroom to say goodnight to her. On her bed, there were a few lumps that could almost be believed to be her lying down under the covers, but her dad knew better. She had once again arranged three pillows under the blankets to make it look like she was in bed sleeping so she could sneak out to see her friends. This was a very common occurrence. Elise would do this a few times a month, but for some reason, David would say something felt different. He had a really uneasy feeling in his stomach, so he decided to go look around the neighborhood for her, but she was nowhere to be found. The following morning, when Elise still hadn't returned, her parents David and Lizanne began to call around to all of her friends to see if they knew where she was. They started with Elise's two best friends, Shannon and Angel. Shannon told them that she had no idea where Elise might be. 
But Shannon also wasn't too concerned. Like I said, Elise was known to sneak out. She was known to stay out late and enjoy herself. Shannon figured she'd likely be home soon. Angel? Well, Angel didn't pick up the phone because she was away visiting with her grandmother for the weekend, but if they had spoken to Angel, they might have a better idea of who she was hanging around with recently. As the hours passed, David and Lizanne became increasingly worried about Elise, so they decided it was time to call the local police. Initially, the police said that they were quite confident it was likely that Elise was out hanging out with her friends somewhere, or maybe she had run off with a boy, but that she would probably be back home that evening. They told David and Lizanne that they would have the newspaper include a photo of Elise to get the word out about her disappearance, but at that point, there really wasn't much else that they could do. David and Lizanne were basically told to sit at home, wait, and hope for her to return. But Elise's parents, they weren't just going to sit around and wait and see what would happen. Instead, they gathered a couple of Elise's friends to help look around the area, to call around to people that they knew, to see if they could find literally anything out. Basically, what they were hearing from other teens in the area was that Elise was a party girl and she had likely run off with a boy. David and Lizanne refused to believe that that was what happened. They were perfectly aware of Elise's issues with drugs and alcohol. They knew that their daughter wasn't perfect by any means, but they felt that she would never make them worry like this by just not coming home at night. In their gut, they knew that something wasn't right. Then Lizanne recalled a strange incident that had happened just a few weeks ago. Elise had been approached by three young men who asked for her help. They told her that there was a man at the bottom of the bank on the side of the road who had fallen and broken his leg. When she walked over to the side of the bank to look, the group of boys surrounded her and pushed her down the bank. They only took off running when Elise's mother, Lizanne, ran over to ask them what the hell they were doing. It was a really strange interaction, But Elise kind of brushed it off, and so Lizanne didn't really think any further about it. But now her daughter was missing, and she had to wonder if those boys had anything to do with it. Police took note of the incident, but they didn't really pursue it as a lead, meaning they never spoke to any of the boys who were involved. It seemed as if the police very quickly wrote Elise off as another teenage runaway. And the days she was missing turned into weeks, and the weeks turned into months. I love to travel. From the bustling city of Tokyo to the beaches of Thailand, there's nothing I enjoy more than getting the chance to see the world and experience different cultures firsthand. But the language barrier, it can be an issue. Sure, you can use an app on your phone, but things often get lost in translation. I truly believe that learning at least some of the language of the land that you're visiting is the first step to ensuring a smooth and meaningful experience. That's why I'm excited about Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language that you want to learn. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Japanese, Spanish, German, Korean, Italian, and more. 
learning a new language can be tough, especially with all of the different nuances. But Rosetta Stone is designed to help you speak like a local, so you'll feel confident in what you're saying. I don't know how many times I've been traveling to a new country and struggled to get my point across just because I wasn't properly pronouncing something that I thought I knew, which is why I love Rosetta Stone's built-in true accent feature, which helps you master your accent. They also have convenient desktop and app options so you can learn on the go. Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership includes all 25 languages. So once you're finished learning one language, you can start on another. Whether you're an avid traveler like me or just want to impress your friends with a new skill, it's a steal of a deal at 50% off. That's right, 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Soon, school was back in session, but Elise wouldn't be returning with her friends. She was still very much missing. There were rumors flying around that she had run off with an older male neighbor who went missing for a short time, but would turn up alive fine and not with Elise a short while later. The tip line would still get a few calls here and there. Sometimes people would call to report sightings of Elise, which fueled the police's theory that Elise had simply run away and that she was alive and well, just hiding from her parents. Christmas passed and still no Elise. And then one day in early March of 1996, around eight months since Elise disappeared, a random phone call came into the police station. The voice on the other end of the line said, I have some information about the missing schoolgirl, Elise Paler. She's dead. And then they hung up. This wasn't the first time a call came in like that. It had happened several times before, but it was clear the caller was persistent. They wanted the police to take their information seriously, or maybe they felt guilty about something that they had done. But unfortunately, the police couldn't connect the call to any specific person or any solid leads. But they wouldn't have to wait long to find out just who might be making those calls. On March 13, 1996, a teenager named Royce Casey walked into his local police station to make a full confession. What he had to say was truly disturbing. Royce admitted to playing a role in the murder of Elise Paler, along with two other teenage friends. Joseph Farella and Jacob Delashmut. These were the very same boys who had approached Elise with a fake story about a man who had fallen down the side of a ditch and needed help and then proceeded to try to push her into the ditch. These were boys who Elise was familiar with and who had even spent time hanging out with just shortly before her death. According to Royce, the boys had planned the whole thing out in advance. They just didn't know how or when it would happen. Then, on that sunny day in July of the previous year, Joseph and Jacob decided it was time. 
They found a payphone outside of a store near Elise's house, and they gave her a call. They told her they had marijuana and LSD that they wanted to give her. While the two boys were on the phone with Elise, Royce happened to be walking by with his girlfriend, and they basically told him to ditch the girlfriend and come with them. Back at Elise's house, she was getting ready to sneak out and to go meet the boys. She had previously thought that they were kind of strange and weird, but at the same time, she was intrigued by how different they were than other boys at her high school. The day prior, she had hung out with them at another friend's house, and they had kind of won her over. They were funny and charming, and they assured her that they weren't bad guys. They exchanged phone numbers and made plans to meet up again to smoke marijuana. Now it was the following night and she felt a lot more comfortable hanging around them. So she decided to sneak out for the evening and she'd be back before her parents could catch her. The three boys and Elise met outside and they walked over to the eucalyptus grove. They sat down and smoked a joint. Allegedly, Jacob got up and walked behind Elise, who was sitting down. Then he took off his belt, looped it around Elise's neck, and pulled it tightly. Then Joseph got up. He took out a hunting knife and stabbed Elise in the neck. Elise fought back fiercely, so Royce held down her arms while Joseph continued to stab her. Then the group proceeded to stomp on her until she stopped moving. They buried her in a shallow grave a quarter mile from her house, and now it was time for Royce to show the police where they had left her body. Police recovered Elise's body from the eucalyptus grove, and it was very badly decomposed and in terrible condition because it had been exposed to the elements for about eight months. The autopsy would be difficult to perform. While that was underway, police prepared to arrest Royce's two accomplices, Joseph Fiorella and Jacob Delashmet. They weren't really sure what to expect, if they would put up a fight or if they had weapons. All three of the teenage boys were described as outcasts, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with being different or not blending in with the crowd. But within the last year, the boys had become obsessed with violence and satanic worship. And they did a shit ton of drugs, which made everything so much worse. They were expelled from school. And it was alleged the murder of Elise was all part of some sort of satanic sacrifice. In the end, the boys were arrested without incident, and some really shocking things were going to be uncovered in the investigation. It would be discovered that Royce, Joseph, and Jacob had quote-unquote sacrificed Elise in order to enhance their guitar playing skills. Yeah. Which just goes to show you the mental maturity of these guys. This wasn't the first time they had tried to kill Elise either. They had the same plan when they tried to push Elise down that embankment a few weeks prior to her death. They believed that by killing Elise, the devil would award them with better guitar skills. They specifically chose Elise because they believed that her blonde hair, blue eyes, and the fact that she was a virgin would make the devil happy. And the really sickening part is a lot of people knew about it, but they were too afraid to come forward. At the local high school, the boys had talked very openly and publicly about wanting to find a young woman to sacrifice before Elise was killed. And after her death, they were known to hint at the fact that they had something to do with it. 
Many people were aware that it was very likely that the boys had killed Elise, but they were too afraid to come forward. When the autopsy report came back, it was revealed that Elise had been stabbed a total of 12 times. However, none of the stab wounds were fatal, which meant that she would have slowly bled to death. The report also indicated that she may have been tortured as well as raped post-mortem. This meant that the youths could potentially be tried as adults due to the special circumstances. Either way, this was not going to be an easy trial. Royce Casey, the boy who had come into the police station to confess, was really the only person cooperating with the police. The other two boys, Joe and Jacob, they pretty much refused to talk. And so they would be tried individually, and each of them seemed to have a variation of the story that they believed to be true. Royce Casey maintained during his trial that they sacrificed Elise to the devil so that their rock band would be more successful. He said they had been listening to a lot of music from the band Slayer and believed that the lyrics were telling them to do it. Joe refuted that claim during his trial, instead saying that it had nothing to do with the band Slayer, their music, or even a devil sacrifice. There would also be different claims made regarding what they did with Elise's body. There were claims made that Elise was sexually assaulted directly after she was killed, and then there were also claims that the boys would go back to her body periodically to assault her again. One of the saddest moments at trial came when Royce talked about how Elise cried out for her mother as she was being murdered. No matter the reason for why she was killed, tragically, Elise had to really suffer through her attack. It wasn't a quick death. In the end, Joseph Fiorella would reach a plea agreement in which he pled guilty to first-degree murder in exchange for a sentence of life in prison with a minimum of 26 years. Royce Casey pled no contest to first-degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 21 years. Jacob Delashma also pleaded no contest to first-degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 26 years. And while Elisa's family was satisfied with their sentences, there was someone else who they wanted to pay for their daughter's death, the band Slayer, who they would sue for monetary damages and lobby for more regulations around youth having access to their music. The Palers believed that the murder was due to Slayer's music and lyrics, particularly the songs Postmortem, Dead Skin Mask, and Kill Again. With lyrics like, Homicidal maniac, trapped in mortal solitude, lift the gleaming blade, slice her flesh to shreds, watch the blood flow free. Paul Bostaff, Slayer's drummer, would say, they're trying to blame the whole thing on us. That's such nonsense. If you're going to do something stupid like that, you should get in trouble for it. And the courts kind of agreed that it was nonsense. The first lawsuit the Palers filed against Slayer was thrown out, with the judge saying, there's not a legal position that could be taken that would make Slayer responsible for the girl's death. Where do you draw the line? You might as well start looking through the library at every book on the shelf. The Palers would attempt to file a second lawsuit against Slayer, but they had the same results, with the case being dismissed. Which brings up an interesting question. Do you think that artists, bands, movie directors should be held more accountable for the content that they create? 
Meaning if someone consumes the content and then goes out and does something really terrible, should the content creator be held responsible in any way? Let me know what you think. So where are we at with this case today? Well, Joseph Farella and Jacob Delashmut are still behind bars for their role in the murder of Elise. However, just last month, Royce Casey was granted parole and he's likely to be out walking the streets again within a few weeks. His attorney would say, He hasn't committed any further crimes. He's educated himself. He's developed marketable skills. He has profound remorse and regret and shame. He counsels and mentors other prisoners inside. He is an exceptional person. His crime is forever deplorable, but he is not, as a human being, that same child that he once was when he committed the crime 27 years ago. Elise's family still feels the deep pain of losing their daughter, but they have come to terms with the fact that Royce has turned his life around and will likely be paroled in the near future. Because of their ages, it's very likely that the other two boys, who are now men, will likely be out soon too after they're done serving their time. It's something that we've talked about before, so again, I ask, do you believe that young offenders who commit really horrific, violent crimes can turn their lives around and become productive citizens in their community? Can a person really change that much from when they were younger, specifically when we're talking about graphic violence like murder and rape? Let me know what you think. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper, or I'm on YouTube, Nikki Young, Serial Napper, and that's all one word. Until next time, stay safe, stay kind, especially in the comments. Bye. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.